Um, I'll add to the announcements for a second here. Um, check, keep an eye out on the event page for our couples um, event coming up on the 17th. We're going to put probably tomorrow the cost. I was just kind of waiting for some last minute RSVPers, but the numbers are just going up, guys. It's going to be popping this, this year. We're going to have a good time. So if you still invite friends, if you want to, you don't have to RSVP. Net wanted an idea. So we so this morning, my, my shirt's going to be doing that this whole time, I can tell. I'll try and not move a lot. This morning, uh, I'm going to be talking to you guys a little bit um, about John 7, 37 and 38. So if you want to open there now, it would probably do, do you well. John 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth book in the New Testament. It's right around like the, the, the third, third beginning of the Bible, in case you don't know where it's at. We there? Okay. 37, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him alone come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow living rivers of living water. So, keep that in your head. We're going to start talking here. Dehydration. What happens? You lose water, and you're not putting water in. So we're going to talk about the first stage of dehydration. First stage is you're thirsty, right? So God created us with this kind of natural alarm system telling us when we need water to drink it and then keep drinking it. Don't stop drinking it tomorrow just because you drink it today. Keep doing it. You have thirst. It's this natural reaction to being thirsty, to needing water. And science says that our body is anywhere, Sonia, answer me if I'm wrong, anywhere from, <laughs> or Jordan probably would know as well, um, anywhere from 50 to 80% water based on your age. When you're younger, you have more water in your system, and as you get older, wrinkles remind us, you have less water in your system. <laughs> So if you don't want wrinkles, just drink a lot of water. I'm sure it does something. Look at Charlotte chugging it. So you are made up of a huge portion of water. Our bodies cannot function without it. So when we, have water when we don't have water coming in and we still have water going out, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, your body will not function properly. So we're going to go through four stages of dehydration. What happens when you don't have water coming in but you still have water going out. The first stage is you're thirsty. You could do something like, let's see, it says, you could do something like kickboxing for an hour in a hot room without a drink, and you're going to lose maybe 2% of the fluid in your body during that time. You're not going to be hurting, but you're going to be thirsty. You're going to be like, okay, I should probably get some water. And the effects of it is you pretty much you're going to output less during that time, just a little bit, your kidneys are going to be like, hey, I'm in here. I'd like some fluid, preferably the clear kind. And it's, it, you're going to notice it. Your body temperature might go up a little bit at that time, but nothing that's going to be detrimental long term. Stage two, you might get lightheaded. You might faint. Your heart rate is going to increase. Your body temperature is going to increase. This is going to happen when you've 
lost about like 5%, 4, 4% to 5% of your body fluid. So for a 170-pound person, that's 7 pounds of water. That can happen from like strenuous exercise without taking fluid in. Um, that could happen like riding a bike for three hours in extreme heat without rehydrating or going without any water for two days. Your body is going to start to recognize signs of dehydration. So as your blood, which this was super cool to me, I like physical body things anyways, but your, your blood needs water, right? And if it doesn't, it thickens itself, so it moves slower, right? That's just crazy to me how our bodies are made to function. But um, it makes your skin a little more wrinkly. You know the test, did you ever learn it? If you pinch the back of your hand and it doesn't flatten out quickly, it means you don't have enough fluid in your body. No, just summer camp counselors? Um, we used to have to check our kids in the summertime, like, Pinch the back of your hand, let's see if it tense up, you know. Um, your blood pressure will drop, which will make you more prone to fainting. That's why a lot of people who don't realize they have heat exhaustion, it's because they don't realize it until all of a sudden you're like, I can't stand up anymore, and then you're down, because your body is trying to survive. So that's the second stage. Third stage, organ damage. We're getting a little more serious here. Um, this is going to happen if... 7%, just 7%, everyone's different. Majority of people, 7%-ish, you're going to lose 12 pounds of, of water out of your system and not replenish. You might lose it from, it says, doing yoga for eight hours without rehydrating in a hot room. I'm not going to recommend that to anybody in here. I did hot yoga one time. It was a terrible experience. Uh, at this point, your body's having trouble maintaining your blood pressure in general, so you're going to experience a lot of uncomfortable symptoms. It says to survive, it slows blood flow to non-vital organs, such as your kidneys and your gut, causing damage. I feel like those are vital organs um, because I like them in my body working. But clearly, your body feels they are the first to go. So um, without your kidneys filtering your blood, Cellular waste will quickly build up, and it will literally mean you are dying for a glass of water. Death. Happy word. Sorry, kids. This happens. 10% of your body weight is all it takes. A 170-pound person losing 17 pounds of water out of their system can result in end of life. That's how severely we need water. If you are outside running for 11 hours in 90-degree weather without any water... Also, not going to recommend that. Uh, this could be the result. The effects. You need to drink some water, uh, stat. If it's hot out, your uncontrollable body temperature means your organs are starting to overheat, which means they're not functioning the way they should. Liver failure will probably take you out. But if conditions are mild, toxic sludge builds up in your blood, and the coroner's report will probably read kidney failure. I, when I was researching this stuff for this message, I thought to myself, man, I, I think I'm thirsty a lot. Like, I'll be like, oh, I really haven't drank much water. I should drink some more water. I feel thirsty. Like, I get busy, and then I just don't drink water, and I feel it. But I've never felt it to this point. And I guarantee you, somebody who's gotten near this point in dehydration is going to tell you, uh, you should probably do something about it if you're feeling thirsty. Don't let yourself get to this point. So why is it important? Why am I talking about hydration? Obviously, we, we've read the verse, and it, it talks about living water, but Scripture shows us on 
more than one, 170 different times, actually, that water is important. It says in Numbers 20, when uh, Israel was in the wilderness, right, and they're like, why, Moses and Aaron, have you sent us out into this land that has no water and all sand and the sun is hot? Why would you kill us this way? And Moses and Aaron are like, hey, God, uh, they need water. You know they need water. We, we need this. And God says, okay, fine. Hit this rock and you'll get water. A miracle of water. Which brings us to my next uh, lesson. Talking about that miracle of water. In chapter 7 here, we see, if you go back to the beginning, you can see that Jesus went to the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is a Jewish holiday that's still celebrated. It's one of the seven holidays that they still um, observe today. It's also known as Shakot. said that probably incorrect, but we're going to let it be what it is. Nobody in here is going to test my Hebrew. Um, and this is a holiday that consists of seven days before they went into Israel, or went through the wilderness, Israel went through the wilderness, and now it's eight. Celebrated as eight days. The first day is a Shabbat, which is a Sabbath day, and so is the eighth. Also a Sabbath day, which is a day of rest in traditional Jewish culture still, and the, their religion. So, Reading it again, John 7, 37 through 38, it says, On the last and greatest day of this festival, Jesus stood and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The holy writings say that the rivers of living water will flow from the heart of the one who puts his trust in me. That's a different version um, than probably what you're reading. You might, yours might say, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow with, from within them. So let's talk a little bit about the Feast of Tabernacles. I am always super interested in the cultural background of Scripture. What does it mean? If I didn't know anything about the Jewish culture or their celebrations or the holidays they observe, I would think, oh, he was just having dinner with some friends, probably, and, and he says this. But with us understanding why he says it, and all of the background, it will blow your mind why and when and how he says this verse. So let's talk about chapter 7. Um, he's at the Feast of Tabernacles. Every biblical holiday for the Jewish people has three points. It still does to this day. You're celebrating the present for something God did in the past for his coming Messiah in the future. That's every single Jewish holiday. Those three things will always be present whether that's the Passover, whether that's um, the Feast of Tabernacles, whether that's the First Fruits, all of their holidays and observances have those three points. Celebrating in the present what he did in the past for what's coming in the future. When I learned that, I was like, and that's going in my family tradition book. Every holiday that we celebrate in our culture, there is a way for us to celebrate in the present what he did in the past, looking forward to the future. Even though we know our Messiah now, he's coming back. And we have something to look forward to. So that was something that I just put in my pocket. Because I said, this is something I can teach my children and will help me recognize every single, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter. It applies. So that's how it stands. Um, and the purpose of each one is different. However, Feast of Tabernacles was a pilgrimage holiday. 
you left your homeland, went to Jerusalem, gathering with people from all over to celebrate this holiday. And it's not just Jews. I have studied this holiday, and somehow I missed that there were Gentiles there, not just in town, but celebrating this holiday. God actually told them when he gave them the command to gather in the wilderness for the Feast of Tabernacles every year, gather those around your native land and bring them in so they can see the goodness of your God. It wasn't just a celebration for those who trusted and believed in him, but also for those who may not know him. So when Jesus, who was a Jew, went to the Feast of Tabernacle in Jerusalem, actually later on in six, or earlier on in 6, you see his brothers, yeah, he had brothers, saying, hey, let's go. Let's go up there. We know they want your head. We know they don't like what you're doing. At this part in Scripture, Christ is two and a half years into his ministry on earth. So people know who he is. They might not recognize his face, but they've heard his stories, the miracles he's done, his teachings. You know, they know that he is a rabbi with 12 disciples. They know of him. And while they might not recognize him, his brothers were kind of picking on him. Hey, come on. Why don't you come up with us? We're going up to the feast. He said, no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. So they left, and then he shortly went on his own to the feast. He probably took the back roads, though. I mean, he knew they were after him. So he goes and he gets to the feast, and it wasn't until the third day of the feast that he actually went to the temple and began teaching. He was a rabbi. Um, though he wasn't a priest, he did have the ability to teach, um, and usually that was a just kind of gathering thing. And so it wasn't until the third day of this feast that he went and began um, to teach at the temple. And he said some things before this verse that were kind of controversial, we're not going to get into them, but if you want to read them, you can't read it and not understand that he was being a little on the edge. And the Jewish people were like, ooh, who is this man? Is this the Jesus I've heard of? Is this the, 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 the rabbi who comes and, and says things that are a little um, controversial? So he, during this week, there's one specific tradition. There's three traditions each day that they do every day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's one specifically I'm going to touch on called the uh, water libation, which means um, there's the tabernacle. They would set up the tabernacle. And even now they set up a tabernacle to celebrate. And so the, the priests, all of them, would go from the tabernacle every day, every morning, after they had celebrated and pretty much partied all night, they would go and they would get this gold vase and they would pitcher and they would walk it down the streets lined with people celebrating. This was such a joyous occasion. This was a chance to remember that God provided water for those that were in the wilderness. This is a celebration. So they would go from the, the tabernacle, they would walk down to this little like well and they would dip it in and they would fill it up and then the whole way back they would follow each other and the streets were just like exploding, exploding with celebration and shouts of joy and people had branches and waving and it was this great thing. And then they would pour it over the altar along with a bowl of wine and it represented that God would send their, his rain upon the, um, the harvest and, and that he provided water and it has this great deep meaning. So this, they did this every single day 
And on the final day of the feast, which is very specific as to why he wrote on the final and great day of the feast, they did this very thing. But when they came back to the altar, they walked around the altar seven times. And that was how they celebrated. And the, the final day was like the uproar of celebration of getting the water and putting it at the altar. So, let me just uh, switch here. So we know this. And then there's the verse that they would read and that this was always referencing was out of Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12, 2 through 3. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord, excuse me, God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This line is what they would sing. It was like a, not a, a song and not a chant. It was like something in between. They have a Hebrew word for it that I don't know. And it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Learning about that specific line super interesting to me too. I probably had more fun preparing this um, than you're having listening right now, believe it or not. And that specific day is called Hoshana Rabbah, which means the great salvation, the day of great salvation. And the, the word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. So this verse in the Hebrew literally says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of Yeshua, your salvation. So we're going to go back to this verse of exactly what he said in a minute, and it's going to start coming together. And it's going to start making sense of what all Jesus was doing in this very moment and how the culmination was like, okay? First we're going to talk about his reputation. He was coming into a group of people, right? The Jewish authorities, the Pharisees, people knew who he was and did not like him. He had performed miracles on the Sabbath. Sacrilege. He had done things that went against their very being. So he comes into this and he's known, uh, he, he's sitting down on the last day, which is the greatest day, He's a rabbi who, most of the time, a rabbi's position for teaching is sitting in a very humble manner and speaking quiet, not like whispering, but just not loudly. So for him to be sitting and teaching, maybe, I always picture him on a picnic table. I don't know, maybe I saw a picture when I was a kid of Jesus on a picnic table with a bunch of kids around him, but sitting somewhere and teaching to people that were nearby. This specific verse says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, which is the word, I'm going to slaughter it. Ekraxin? Maybe? Thank you. You got anything for me back there, Wagner? Okay, look at that. Ekraxin. We'll say that's what it is. None of us understand the original language anyways, so we'll just call it whatever we want. And all understand what we're talking about. A craxon. There's nine other times that this specific verb is used in the New Testament. Only nine. 
And each time, it helps you understand exactly how Jesus spoke this quote. So the first one of the times you're going to see is when the blind man shouted for sight. He was appealing for sight. That's in Mark 10. I can't imagine that a blind man who thinks someone can heal him is going to be like, um, excuse me, I would, I would like it if I could see. Right? So I feel like there's, there's probably some volume. He was speaking with the, another time is when Peter was sinking in the water after Jesus told him to walk out to him. He said, uh, hello, I'm sinking, save me, please. I can't imagine that also was a whisper. Another time is, <clears throat> excuse me, when the demon-possessed man shouted, pleading for mercy from the demons that were within him. These three examples of the nine, all nine of them make you understand that this is not a quiet speech. But these three specifically stood out to me and made me go, okay, so Jesus was saying something to get attention. It wasn't like a whisper. John uses the same Greek verb um, in all of these, and I just don't feel like it was like a clearing of the throat. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's a rabbi whose traditional posture is seated, um, humbly, shouting out, a craxon, shouting out in a loud voice, come unto me, if anyone is thirsty. Um, I was going to be loud, but there's a baby in the room, and I was afraid he would have a heart attack. <laughs> thought I'd be safe there. I might still, though, because you can never tell. This was more than just an invitation, though. Knowing the history, Christ saying this was a declaration of who he is as the son of the living God. Because when you look, we're talking about people who know scripture. This isn't like, oh, huh, who? What's the Torah? I mean, these are people who study and memorize. We are surrounded in this time by priests and rabbis and people who have studied under rabbis, disciples. They know scripture. So, there's other times that this, come unto me all who are thirsty, has been said. And guess who said it? God. The living God said it to his people. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to my waters, Isaiah 55.1. And people know this. They know who has invited to come drink of the water. It was God. So here is a man who, who has not set a claim as to who he is yet. He's only done what the Father has told him, saying, come unto me. Come unto me if you're thirsty. That's a big deal in this. He's not just saying, come unto me, but he's declaring, I am God. And people knew that. So when I understand culture, it helps me understand this a little more. So I'm going to give you an example, and I'm going to move this down a little bit. So you can really get a picture. The priests are walking back with the water from the well on the last and greatest day of the feast, and it is a ruckus. It is a riot. People are 
ecstatically celebrating the goodness of God. And they get up to the altar and they walk around it seven times like they did the walls of Jericho. That's, that's a way of uh, looking at the past, right? They walk around the altar seven times and as they, the, the idea is the assumption perhaps that as they were pouring the water out, this is when Jesus spoke. Think of how loud and exciting and celebratory it was. And as they poured out the water over the altar, there's a rabbi standing and shouting, If anyone is thirsty, come unto me. For scripture says that if you believe, you will have rivers of living water flowing out of you. Can you imagine that? People knowing that this water being poured over the altar is reminiscing of a time that God said that. And there is a man who has done miracles, who the rumor mill says he is the Son of God. He is the coming Messiah. Thousands of people around him know the coming Messiah is coming. And here he is, standing up in a declaration, saying, Come unto me! I, I will give you rest. I will give you water. I will quench your thirst. The first time I thought of that, I literally had tears streaming down my face. The idea that this man, God in person, had gone from being a rabbi who maybe mixed it up a little bit, to finally standing and saying, you know scripture, I know scripture, and I'm going to quote it. I am who living water comes out of. Come unto me. And it goes on in, in this passage that people are like, uh, excuse me, is this, is this the Messiah? Well, he must be the Messiah because the Pharisees and and the police have not come and got him yet. They haven't taken him in. So, I mean, if they believe it, then maybe we should believe it. The, the talk around the town was crazy. That he finally, they're saying, but that's what God said. How are we to believe that he is God? Maybe he's the Messiah. And this begins a lot of chatter. And as you read on further in John, you would understand that this isn't the first time that he claim, makes claims now to scripture and fulfilling prophecy as to who he is. Which brings me back to water. In this um, reference, referencing back to Isaiah, it's saying this verse, a lot of people think like, oh, we'll have streams of living water flowing out of us. But what it's saying is in the holy writings, it says that a man is coming who... Rivers of living water will flow out of him, which is Christ. It's saying, he's saying, come unto me, because scripture's saying, I'm coming, and I am the one that living water will flow out of, that you can have. It's also referencing a lot of um, scholars believe it's referencing the Spirit of God that's coming, and that people are going to see this progression that as Christ is the Messiah, that he comes to his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, and then the Spirit comes, but it can't happen out of that order, 
right? So he's saying, come unto me that there is living water that you will get from me. And later on it talks about how when the Spirit comes, it will flow within you. So there's a few things that are required for this, right? We know about physical thirst, but I believe that each of us have a spiritual thirst that is innate in us, that we were created for a reaction to living life without water. We don't bring much to our relationship with God, honestly, to his arm reaching out and his gift of salvation. We don't bring anything to that. But we do bring something in a way known as our depravity, which shows us we're thirsty. We bring a thirst. We, we long for something to quench our thirst. And I think, if I could put a, a name on it, sin is searching for your thirst to be quenched in every place but God. That you have a thirst and you want to quench it. And so you look anywhere and everywhere, but it is until you find that quenching in the Lord that you will continue to be thirsty. We all know the verse. Drink from me and you will never thirst again. What do we thirst for? What do we truly have a desire for? And sometimes, even after we know the source, where the well is, we still look under trees and in the ground and in a puddle. I mean, we, we sometimes find ourselves searching for a quench somewhere else, which is so foolish for all of us, myself mainly is who I'm talking about, when I forget that my source of living water is better than any stagnant pool I can come across anywhere else. There's an author that I've enjoyed reading for many years, um, but he specifically talks about this, and I have always, it's always sat in my mind, this specific passage, so I'm going to read it. Deprive your soul of spiritual water, and you will know. Hydrated hearts send desperate messages. Dehydrated hearts send special, desperate messages. Snarling tempers, waves of worry growling mastodons of guilt and fear. You think God wants you to live with these? Hopelessness, sleeplessness, loneliness, resentment, irritability, insecurity. They're all warnings. Symptoms of a dryness deep within. Perhaps you've never seen them as such. You've thought they, like speed bumps, are just a part of this journey. Anxiety, you assume, runs through your genes like eye color. And some people have bad ankles or receding hairlines high cholesterol, and you, you just fret. And moodiness, everyone has gloomy days, hashtag sad Saturdays. I put that in there. Aren't such emotions inevitable? Absolutely. Are they unquenchable? Never. View the pains of your heart not as struggles to endure, but as an inner thirst to slake. Proof that something within you is starting to shrivel. Treat your soul as you treat your thirst. Take a gulp. Imbibe moisture. Flood your heart with a good swallow of water. If I can add, seek Christ first. Spend time at the foot of the cross. 
not checking it off your balance sheet, but recognizing that's where we should live. Know the Spirit of God that dwells within you and seek Him first always. That third one, know the Spirit of God that dwells within you, is probably one of the most important things for walking out your salvation, in in my opinion. If you or I have come to know the Lord, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I know that what he did on the cross has saved me from a life of hell and damnation. I have accepted that. But if I continued to walk out my life without recognizing the spirit of God that is in me, do you know how hard that would be? There's a sanctification that comes after salvation that literally changes your life. It's not just a saying. It's not just a pretty thing. It makes you better. Everyone likes you more after you know Jesus. It takes work that Christ will do in you if you recognize the spirit that's in you now and you continue to to sacrifice and lay your life down to what he has to do in you. Seek him first in everything. So as I was taking some time to pray and, and just ask the Lord, is there something else? Like, I felt like I got everything together, but really what is the culmination of this message. I started thinking about hunger versus thirst. I'm real hungry right now. I haven't eaten since yesterday around 4 o'clock. And my stomach is telling me I'm hungry. It's growling. And a part of me thinks if I just find food and stop this message, I'll feel better and then it'll be all done. And that's true. Hunger, in my opinion, makes you want to fight. When you're hungry, you're like, I'm going to have to kill the cow. I'm just going to have to kill the cow, cook it, and eat it before I get home. And it has a tendency to give you, like, that, ugh. You know what I mean? That, like, I got to go. I'm getting hangry. It's time to hit the road. Thirst, though, has a different vibe to me. Thirst, to me, has a tendency to make you settle. I am thirsty. Do you know how many times I say that? Or my kids say that? Mom, I'm thirsty. And their water bottle is full on the counter next to them. And then 20 minutes later, they tell me they're thirsty, and I ask if they took a drink, and they tell me no. I mean, this is a common occurrence. This is like every single day that situation plays out. Charlotte, no. I mean, can we moms, can we get an amen? That happens. Yes. So thirst is a little different. It makes you indifferent. Whereas hunger makes you want to strive and fight, thirst makes you take a seat and recognize this is your lot in life. You're going to be thirsty. That's just you. Why? Why do we settle with thirst and not hunger? We see that our lives, common, are dehydrated. That our spiritual lives are dehydrated. And we live with sleeplessness. Like, it's just part of it. We live with feeling depressed, though I understand depression is so wide and has so many factors, we still can find quenching in the Lord. We live thinking, oh, I just am moody, and I understand hormones have a big play in that. But the self-discipline that comes with handling your hormones is found in Christ. 
But we just settle. We just say, I'm thirsty. That's my lot in life. I'm just going to be thirsty, dehydrated. That's my way to live. We would never do that with hunger. But we do it with thirst. So doing this message really brought me to see what am I dehydrated in? What are my symptoms of my spiritual dehydration? And I had to look inside and say, man, I am impatient with my children. Why? Because I feel like doing things for them as a mother is more important than doing things for myself as a daughter of the Lord. Why do I think that one is more important than the other in the wrong way? I should recognize that me as a daughter of God is way more important than me as a mother, honestly. And as twisted as it sounds, I need to recognize that I have to thirst, quench the thirst of one before I can do another. I'm not saying ignore your children or send them outside to the snow to get a drink of water. I'm saying, I've thought about it. I'm saying that it's important that we recognize where we're dehydrated. It's important that when every single day we're asking the Lord to quench our thirst, that the Spirit of God would dwell in us and that it would reach all of the crevices that are dry and dehydrated, that we, we recognize what he did on the cross for us is why we have water. That we recognize that it was God that sent his son, why we have water, and then how do we drink it? How do we quench our thirst? And to me, it's getting in the word. This thing, this book, is not just a bunch of words. It is water. It is a way for us to recognize the character of God, to know who he is, to understand how to apply this to our lives. Water. Spend time in prayer with him, not just, God, thank you for today. Though if that is your heart's sincere prayer, pray it. Insincere prayer, it's going to leave you thirsty. Recognize that we need to spend time with the Lord daily, sometimes four times a day, if that's what we need for that day. Though constant communion is the ultimate goal, sometimes we have to start where we're at. So if you are finding, when you look inside your own hydration, hydrometer, I think that's a word, if you look inside yourself and recognize that you are living dehydrated in some areas, maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you feel like you're the only person who gets you or who is near you or has a hand reaching out to you. That is a lie that comes from your spirit being dehydrated. It is looking for a quench in the spirit of God. Whether you recognize right now or next week this message comes back to you and you're like man what is this attitude from why do I feel this way why am I not sleeping at night and it's not because my kids are waking me up I just can't sleep seek the spirit of God seek the Lord and ask him God is there something in my life that I am trying to do in my own power is there something in my life that I think I'm better at than you are and while we would never say that to God, we act it out every single day. So the point of this message, not only to teach you some awesome history about the Jewish celebration of the tabernacle, and to teach you how to drink water always because it could take you down, 
is to tell us to recognize when we are dehydrated spiritually, that we have access, the veil is torn, that we have access to the streams of living water, living, fresh water that you can drink, not salt water, not nasty mosquito water, not my chicken's water, that's gross too, but water that is living and spring-fed water from the spring of living water that is Jesus. So I just want to encourage you guys this morning that throughout this week, next week, in a month, if you need to ask me what I spoke about just so I can remind you, I'd happy, be happy to. Recognize areas in your life where you are dehydrated and seek the only one that can rehydrate you. Spend time in his presence. Spend time in his word. Spend time with his body. It is so important that we are spending time with people that are going to remind us where our source of life is. Teens, I'm going to talk to you because you're in the front row and you're close. It is easy, way easier than what our parents understand. I'm saying our like I'm a teenager. It is easy to surround yourself with people who don't know where to get fresh water. They think they're going to go get a bottle of water from Meyer, and that's what it is. And they don't understand because they've never tasted and seen that it's good. It's easy to surround yourself with those people. And though I would encourage you to love them one million percent, to always be encouraging and supportive and loving the people that might not know Christ, It is so important that you surround yourself with your closest friends who will be able to look at you and say, you need to spend some time with the Lord in the most sincere way. Because I know if Megan's being crabby, I can tell her, you need to spend some time with the Lord. And that she knows I mean it in love and a little bit of sarcasm. She understands that I can recognize her spiritual need as not only the body of Christ, but as her best friend. So surround yourself with those people. They're going to give you wisdom, advice. They're going to help you make the best decisions you can make. And they're going to tell you, uh, you might want to drink a little of living water today. And that goes for all of us, honestly. Even adults. We sometimes, I, my mom has talked to me about this before. I have very close friends. I am very uh, appreciative of the friendships that I have. But I feel like a lot of adults, the generation above me, don't. Don't have good, close friends that are, their kids are become their friends. And that's good and great and all good. But sometimes you need to talk to someone about your kid. Sometimes you need advice from someone who's not your 18-year-old child. And... So it's important that we all have someone in the body of Christ that we can talk to and support and lift one another's arms when we can't lift our own. So that's just free. That's um, just free little uh, bunny trail. So I just want to encourage all of us, think of this verse. Think of where the rivers of living water flow from. Recognize it. Seek it. It's found in Christ. It's found in what he did on the cross. It's found in the spirit of God. And that's where you're going to find it, in the word and in him and in his body. So I just want to encourage you guys in that, charge you to do that. 
And uh, if you don't have anything, I'll pray. Or I'll pray and then you have something. Deal. Okay. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that we were able to come together and learn, that we were able to come together and um, understand your scripture historically a little more. Father, that I pray your spirit has prodded and poked a few of us this morning, maybe revealing some areas in our lives that we are dehydrated, that we've tried to drink from stagnant pools, and we come back thirsty every time. Father, I pray in this afternoon, in the coming days and weeks and months, and I don't care if it's even years down the road, Father, I pray that you would help us to cling and grasp to this concept that you are the stream of living water, that you and only you can bring life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share with my family. I appreciate each and every one of them. pray that you would be with them as they leave today and in their days coming this week. Father, that you would meet them exactly where they are in every moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.